1: You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about advertising, marketing, media, pop culture, technology, because in the end, just about everything is an ad. And today, we've got a really exciting uh, topic. We're going to be going over our 10 favorite ads of 2016, what made them great. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. And with me, as always, is Tim Nudd, our creative editor who assembled our list of the 10 best ads of the year. Tim, how are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And frequent uh, podcast appearance, Christina Monlos. How are you today?
2: Just uh, snazzy. All
1: right. Great. Christina is a staff writer covering brands and marketing and also a producer on the podcast. And joining us again is Alfred Mascaroni, our director of video here at Adweek. Alfred, great to have you back.
3: Thanks, David. How you doing?
1: It's going going really well
3: i'm fantastic
1: gearing up for the end of the year and one of my favorite parts is our recap of the best ads of the year last week we talked about our favorite agencies of the year uh, in terms of their performance and their creative this year we're going to dig down deep into the work Uh, we're also going to look at the newly announced golden globe nominations uh, especially uh, on the tv front and uh, we're going to talk about time's polarizing pick for person of the year but first let's hear the news It's a big year for new shows at the Golden Globes. In terms of TV, uh, four of the five Best Drama nominations, one of the real kind of uh, most coveted uh, categories at the Golden Globes, four of the five went to new shows. Uh, Those were Netflix's The Crown and Stranger Things, NBC's This Is Us, and HBO's Westworld. Uh, The only kind of existing show uh, that was past its first season that got uh, a nomination in this category was Game of Thrones. That's pretty good company uh, for these other newcomers to be in. Uh, Tim, I wanted to talk a little bit about which of these shows you've watched. I know you and I have both been pretty addicted to Westworld. Uh, I think we've all watched Stranger Things. Have you checked out This Is Us or The Crown?
0: You know, I watched the the pilot episode of This Is Us, which was pretty interesting. It had uh, famously has this kind of twist at the end where the characters that you meet uh, end up having—they're related in a way that you— you know, you're not really privy to throughout that whole first episode. So I did watch that. Unfortunately, I haven't uh, had a chance to make it past that first episode, but hopefully at some point, um, I didn't, I didn't watch, I actually only watched the first two episodes of Stranger Things as well. So I'm kind of out of the loop on a lot of these shows, but, um, I did watch the entire Westworld, uh, series, which, um, was pretty, pretty amazing show. I thought just amazing production values and the storyline was, was pretty bizarre and twisted and, Hard to follow at times, but um, the reveals towards the end of the season made it made it pretty worthwhile, I thought. Christina, have you checked out any of these?
2: Um, I've seen most of Westworld, kind of gave up on it. Uh, I watched <sighs> all of Stranger Things. Uh, one episode, no, two of This Is Us. I haven't seen The Crown, um, and I've never seen Game of Thrones. Oh. But I I don't know. The Golden Globes are always kind of funny um so I mean all of these categories end up being kind of funny where it feels like you know when there's a new show it's like the darling and people are talking about it online and then you'll end up seeing that it's nominated it it, I don't know every once in a while it just kind of feels like they are going with whatever is get going to get them the most traction
1: yeah, I could,
0: I could see that. Yeah, it seems like the buzziness factor affects the whole Hollywood Foreign Press quite a bit. I mean, Stranger Things was was probably the most talked about show of the summer, and then Westworld, the most talked about show of the fall. I wouldn't, I would, I, you know, it wasn't surprising to me that either of those really made it in just based on the the hype around them.
3: Yeah, is there a, a best props category? I'm like on my phone trying to trying to search what all the the winning you know the the categories are for the Golden Globes, but I would give Stranger Things all of those awards. Best prop styling, is that a thing? It probably is on like the, you know, they have the award show before the awards. That's probably going to win on that day. (laughs) The the (laughs) The technical technical golden globe (laughs) for for
1: prop selection and thrift Uh store shopping. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, It was, as has been the case for a while, uh, it's a big year for HBO, but uh, they definitely came in very strong thanks to both Westworld and uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, HBO had 14 nominations overall. Uh, followed by FX, which had nine, uh, and then ABC, Amazon, AMC, and Netflix all had five each. Uh, n- last year, Netflix was actually the the big winner uh, in terms of nominations, with eight. Uh, so for HBO to have 14 this year, pretty stellar. So a real sign that—and and I've always felt this way, that, that HBO was for a long time a bit of a one- or two-show network, and that's why I always had trouble justifying subscribing to HBO Now uh, and, and HBO Go before that— um, but uh, they really now it's you have such a wide variety of of shows to pick from, but I feel like Westworld was kind of the first to really follow up on the the sheer scope and quality of Game of Thrones. Uh, Christina, why did you give up on it without it giving away any spoilers, I guess?
2: Um, it's It's really hard for me to get on board with a show that's, uh, you know, using r- rape and nudity as plot devices. Uh, so i i understand it i get it um i was on board for a while i might go back to it it just i don't know
1: (laughs) yeah i mean there's there's certainly like implied sexual assault in the first episode i mean clearly implied um and then after that i noticed that they kind of came off of it because that made me pretty uncomfortable too and i was just like oh man this show's gonna be pretty uncomfortable in that regard and then they seem to kind of back off that although there's certainly no shortage of violence uh in that show but it became a little more i don't know traditionally violent i guess after that uh but i i can certainly see why people you know everyone i recommend it to i'm like well it is not without its um it's uh divisiveness. Uh, but uh, but I think most of that ends up being kind of the either you get on board with the complexity and circuitousness of the plot or, or not. And a lot of people just kind of gave up trying to follow all those threads that the show was was tangling up.
2: I will say if we're going to talk about HBO, we have to talk about um, Issa Rae getting nominated for Insecure. I don't know if either of you have checked out that show, but um, you know, that's a new comedy from HBO and she for a long time had awkward black girl. It was like, um, you know, her web series that HBO finally worked with her and Larry Wilmore to make into a show. It's, hilarious and wonderful and the fact that you know this show created by a black woman starring this black woman about these young black creative types in los angeles is getting um, at least a little love from the hollywood foreign press is really great yeah,
1: and on a similar note, I, I would point out that Atlanta has done very well. Uh, Donald Glover's uh, FX comedy series, and so you know, it, it's that's been another example of while while maybe a bit more traditional, maybe a little safer uh, than than uh, you know some of the other ones. It's it was still good to see that getting getting its due, especially on on this stage. All right, let's talk about. Times Person of the Year. No real surprise to me, but it was Donald Trump. Uh, I remember the last year he complained uh, vocally that it wasn't him in uh, 2015. Uh, this caused the kind of usual, uh, I, I guess, unpredictable uh, outcry back and forth of Uh, You know, people who say, oh, how can you name someone that I dislike so much to be person of the year? And then you get the pushback of, oh, they also included Hitler and Stalin and Putin. Uh, So this is something where every year that they pick a divisive figure, time has to kind of uh, justify that that is not an endorsement of that person and all that they do, but more just a recognition that they are you know, the, the person who kind of most defined 2016. And in that sense, uh, while I'm not a, a big personal fan of Donald Trump, I think it was an accurate pick and kind of the obvious one that they had to go with because choosing almost anyone else would have required a, a pretty, you know, some, some triple backflips of logic. Uh, Christina, what was your thought on, on them picking Trump? Did you see that coming or do you think they should have gone with someone else?
2: I think it was really predictable, and that if they had gone with anyone else, it wouldn't have made sense. I also really wish that they, instead of the weird cover picture that people see as, I don't know, subversive, but it kind of isn't. I, I wish they had just like used that GIF of him, where it's the it's from the photo shoot that he did with them like a year ago, and it's the eagle that's just <laughs> attacking him. Like, I feel like that as like a GIF cover image for Times Person of the Year would have been very accurate for 2016.
1: Yeah, so, so you mentioned the cover and the debate around that, uh, or not so much debate as to, I think, maybe o- uh, over-interpretation of it. a lot of people finding everything from references to Napoleon and Hitler and all these other things. In the end, I, I personally just... I always doubt when you have to dig that deep into the nuance, but was certainly a striking cover. And there's, there's something about his posture of kind of having his back to the camera and turning to face it in this mildly sinister way, but one that he probably sees as empowering. Uh, but then, of course, he came out with something to complain about anyway and said that it should be man of the year, which a really uh, just bizarre bone to pick uh, and one that just doesn't do anything to... Uh, settle any uh, complaints or or valid criticisms that he doesn't have the most uh, kind of sexually balanced gender balanced approach to anything Uh, but uh, as also seems to show that he uh, can't be happy with anything they give him the cover and he says oh you should rename it back to man of the year which is that you know odd choice. Uh, Tim what did you think of that pick?
0: Well you know what was funny to me is that it really just shows the the pretzel-like contortions that the media is in right now, because uh, this is a magazine that twice this year put uh, an illustration of Trump on the cover. The First one said meltdown, and it showed his face kind of melting when he first, you know, when he first put his foot in his mouth earlier in the year. I mean, I can't even remember which time that was. And then uh, after the uh, Access Hollywood tape came out, Time did did the, basically the same cover again, and and uh, it said total meltdown, and it had the same sort of dripping uh you know trump face almost like a, a dolly painting like falling off you know the, the falling off the page so to have you know to have somebody that was the you know the depicted so viciously um earlier in the year then later become the person of the year i mean it's just it's disorienting in the way that the, the entire year has been disorienting um so yeah i mean i, I i'm not surprised either um and, you know, anyone—I can't even think of anyone who would be remotely uh, appropriate, aside from Trump. You know, and, and it is sort of weird. You know, every time they they pick someone who, you know, had such a negative or, or controversial influence on the culture as their Person of the Year, I mean, it does come across to some degree as an endorsement, um, which is why so many people are confused by it. Um, but no, I wasn't surprised at all.
3: At least the le- the letter M, you know, makes makes the devil horns on everybody that it puts on its cover. So we have that going for us.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I saw that commentary, and I'm just like, yep, yep, him and everyone else whose head has been vaguely <laughs> close to the top of Time just magazine. Do a search.
3: Do a search on Google for for Time devil horns, and it's just a an infinite scroll <laughs> of people with devil horns.
1: So also, it-
2: like since 2006, the time person of the year thing has been just such an annoying joke because, you know, 2006 is when they made you. You are the person <laughs> of the year. So every stupid Twitter bo- bio that you come across where someone's like, I was time's person of the year in 2006. <laughs> you're so witty. We all, you know, we're clapping for you.
1: I disagree. It's- I think that's a really funny Twitter bio. I applaud Ugh. anyone who puts that in. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amazon had some fun with this. They ran a special insert in time with their own man of the year, uh, the man in the high castle. Uh and uh which I, I enjoyed season one. That is a show where um Without without spoiling anything, you know, obviously it takes place in an alternate reality uh, where where Germany won the war, the Axis won the war, uh, but it ended in a really uncomfortable place, uh, and takes place, you know, just the whole show is kind of in a, an uncomfortable place for people who have concerns about uh, the potential for Trump to become a more totalitarian uh, form of government and to usher in this new era of white nationalism. Uh, so it was. All, you know, an uncomfortable pairing to begin with, but uh, they their insert really kind of highlighted. And, and I can't tell. I mean, Tim, do you feel that that show is more relevant now or, or almost uncomfortably uh, kind of coincidentally relevant?
0: Well, I don't watch the show, but certainly uh, it, it's evocative of, of the present day. I mean, I remember on election night um, when it became clear that, that Trump was— was going to win the presidency, and Black Mirror uh, sent out a tweet from its official account saying, "This is this is not an episode of our show. This is reality." So it's very odd, uh, and also, you know, you're electing a reality star as your as your president. I mean, the the, the crossover between politics and entertainment is so complete at this point, and so you know it's funny the the having a a, pers- a man of the year ad for an amazon show inside the person of the year trump time magazine issue i mean they're interchangeable aren't they at this point
1: well, that is uh, our two kind of more interesting news bits. But I want to save plenty of time for our uh, big discussion of the week. Normally, we would transition now to uh, our section of ads worth watching, where Tim breaks down the week's best ads. But this week, we're going to forego ads worth watching for the week. And we're going to talk about ads worth watching for all of 2016. Uh, th- so uh, let's hear what uh, what made the list. <music> Tim, tell us about. Uh, I don't know. How do you want to walk through this? Uh, I don't want to like dive right into number one, but uh, at the same time, I don't want to make
0: people wait until the last minute of the podcast to hear what it is. So, <laughs> uh,
1: how do, how do you want to to open this? Well, up?
0: Well, we can mention uh, number one maybe now and then and then back uh, start up at, at uh, number ten and, and kind of work our way down. The number one spot of the year was the the great, fantastic, uh, haunting, beautiful uh, Under Armour spot. Uh, with Michael Phelps, that the Droga5 made uh, released it back in March. Uh, it actually ran quite a few times throughout the year. Obviously, Michael Phelps was such a big story this year. He's actually on our cover this week. I did uh, I did a profile of him, kind of separate from the ads of the year package. Uh, so we'll talk I'm sure a lot about that later. So that was the that was the number one spot for the year. Um, and then you know I guess we can just start at number ten, which was. Uh, the Apple Music commercial with Taylor Swift, which everyone remembers, where she kind of falls off the treadmill. She's singing the Drake song. And, uh, you know, I thought this was one of the funnier uh, uses of a celebrity uh, of the year. It's kind of funny that our that our list of 10 is kind of bookended by celebrity spots. But, you know, I think if you, you know, you take uh, someone like Taylor Swift, she's such a huge pop star, and you make a, a commercial that kind of, you know, she, she has a lot of fun kind of poking fun at herself in it. And then singing another pop star's music, kind of you know people are super interested in that. And uh, I thought Apple in general did some interesting uh, celebrity work this year. They did some pretty cool spots with uh, uh, with Kobe Bryant and and Michael uh, Michael Jordan. And you know I just thought this Taylor Swift spot. I know not everyone's a, a huge fan of it. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but um, I thought it it was deserving of. Um, you know, some accolades this year. It also, I believe, uh, helped introduce Instagram's new 60-second ad format because Taylor posted it on her Instagram. And I think that was basically the first day that that 60-second format was available. So that it was, was pretty, also, uh, pretty uh, neat. Wasn't
3: uh, April Fool's Day as well? It was April 1st.
0: I think it was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which was yeah. um, kind of a funny choice.
3: So all of that colliding at once kind of made it number 10 in our top ads of the year.
2: The thing that I loved about the Taylor Swift ad more than anything is how obvious it is that she's, that there's a double when she falls. (laughs) That was, that was the best part to me. It's like, oh yeah, Taylor Swift would never really fall on her face.
3: It's Anna Wintour, isn't it?
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they have the same haircut.
0: (laughs) It's also interesting, you know, the, we'll talk about this a bit later with Phelps too, which is that um, Taylor's got 94 million Instagram followers. So, when you put a spot like that on her Instagram, which is where it broke originally, um, you know, you have, you have the celebrity kind of activating on behalf of the brand instead of vice versa, which is a pretty unique and new phenomenon.
1: So uh, let's, uh, let's move on to number nine. Uh, What did we have there?
0: So number nine is Old Spice, uh, the Wyden and Kennedy uh, work for Old Spice, in particular, the rocket car spot. And, you know, we've obviously go- going all the way back to, uh, you know, the uh, Man Your Man Could Smell Like from 2010. I mean, it, Old Spice has been on quite a roll. I think a lot of people thought that um, the, the campaign had, had kind of used up a lot of its energy and wasn't really going anywhere the last few years. So at the very beginning of 2016 to, to, to sort of discover this new character who, you know, is sort of a, an idiotic uh, manly man who you know in this particular spot he builds a rocket car and there's a voiceover which we can listen to uh in a moment about kind of pushing himself to the limits and it's this sort of masculine advertising um parody so let's listen to a brief clip of this spot
3: should i have taken even a basic ground level engineering course of some type yes yes i should have but the most valuable lesson i have ever learned is that if you fill your brain with knowledge, then there won't be any room for dreams. And my dream is to take the wheel and drive. Wow.
0: So, of course, at the end, the the, the rocket car that he builds uh, kind of explodes ridiculously. And, uh, you know, it's Old Spice is one of those brands that's been playing around with the ideas of masculinity for a long time. And I really thought, uh, you know, I really thought this one uh you know paid it off and there's there's a companion piece uh with him sort of playing tennis on the back of a whale and i don't know the pacing of it uh steve rogers was the director of the rocket car spot i just thought the pacing was great and you know when they screened it in can when it went to gold and everybody sort of you know the whole pele sort of you know you could tell it's the comic timing was really was really perfect on this one i thought
1: it feels like, to your point about Old Spice, kind of riffing on masculinity in the last few years, and I feel like they've they've had uh, ups and downs in that regard. Uh, but this is one where they they pull it off in a way that is making fun of the man, And I think they always are trying to make fun of the masculinity in a certain way. It's just sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And, and in this respect, I went into the ad being pretty skeptical. And by the end, I was like, okay, I'm sold. That's, that's charming. They found the line to, to make it charming. Christina, why didn't you like this one?
2: I liked this one (laughs) I'm not predictable I liked this one um no I mean if you're gonna find ways to play with these ideas of like what a manly man should be you know having someone who is realizing that they should have taken at least one course of how to build a rocket ship while said rocket ship is blowing up seems accurate.
3: But if you fill your head with knowledge, there will be no room for dreams.
2: Mm-hmm. Are you <laughs> quoting the ad? I am indeed. You're quoting the ad copy right now?
0: And my uh, dream
3: is to take the wheel and drive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, the one thing I also wanted to mention about this spot is that... Um, not only is the meta comedy kind of uh, just on the level of of, of ma- about talking about masculinity and the tropes of masculinity in advertising, it's also meta on an ad agency level because so this is widening and Kennedy Portland um, doing it, and, and really there's several shots in here that that are very very close to what Widen and Kennedy London did for Honda in the Impossible Dream spot from gosh, it must be a decade ago. And so, you know, you've got one office of, of an ad agency kind of poking fun at, at the kind of work that a that another office of the same agency did, you know, for a different brand overseas. And, and you know, the Honda stuff was kind of tongue in cheek in a way too. Um, but the shots are very similar where he's driving that, you know, he's driving the, the vehicle through Wait, the desert.
2: Ned, what if they didn't realize this? And then you're like creating a beef right now. Well, I think I've mentioned
0: noticed. it I've mentioned it in stories before. Um so I think they probably know about it and I would, I'm pretty sure they they are aware of it. I mean the, the London guys are probably were probably sending nasty emails <laughs> when this Leak, those. Came out. Leak those.
2: Leak those. Or maybe those.
0: congratulatory emails. <laughs> uh
1: I want to I want to set up number 8 uh, because I have kind of a funny story about this one. So number 8. Uh Morton Salt uh, with OK Go uh, for their video for the one moment. Uh, and I'll let Tim describe it. What I thought was funny about this was the timing. So I guess about a month ago, I was in Amsterdam to, as a juror on the Epico Awards, and uh, where it's advertising journalists judging the best ads of the, the past year. And one of our big uh, ads videos in consideration for the Grand Prix, the top prize, was OK Go's video with S7 Airlines for Upside Down and Inside Out. And if you remember, that's the one where they're flying in zero gravity, and they had to very carefully coordinate it. And uh, it was it won gold in its category, but then it was also a Grand Prix consideration. And I voted pretty hard for it. I stumped for it because I felt that, A, it was interesting that it came out of a Russian ad agency, uh, a small one that you don't hear too much about on, on the global stage. But also I thought it was a great example of kind of where branded content can work. Uh, but in the end, I think some of the judges were just – a little dubious of whether it was really an ad uh, because, you know, and, and of course we come from everything with the assumption that it's an ad, thus this podcast. But, uh, but you know, it, it just, to me, it was beautifully subtle that throughout the whole thing, you see the S7 logo in the back of the plane. You see the, the, uh, the flight attendants are wearing S7 uniforms. There's a big thank you message to S7 at the end. But I think to a lot of judges, it just wasn't uh, kind of direct enough as an ad. And then Right after I got back, we've got the new OK Go video with uh, directly partnering with Morton Salt uh, for the one moment. So, Tim, tell us about this one.
0: Well, yeah, this is you could the the issues you're mentioning there. You could also probably ask about this, you know, about this video. It's obviously an OK Go production that a brand kind of gets integrated into. So there are definitely always going to be questions uh, about, you know, the the effectiveness and, and how much it pays off what the brand's trying to do. Um, but anyway, this this spot is basically the band filmed uh, 4.2 seconds of stuff exploding, and stuff like paint buckets and water balloons. And then there's even uh, a collection of guitars hanging from the ceiling that explodes towards the end. So basically, you see this crazy hectic four four seconds at the very beginning in real time, and then uh, they slowed it down. Uh, they slowed it down to a four-minute video. So basically, a second is a, is suddenly a minute. And they go back to the beginning and they show you know this slowed down version and somehow Damien the Kulash the lead singer you know is singing in, in in time with with uh you know even when it's completely slowed down and there's all sorts of I mean it's just it's one of uh, OK Goes you know it's their signature thing where they they do these these video tricks that are just you know sort of mesmerizing to watch and, and uh, you know, the Morton Salt is sort of integrated uh, in the opening shot. There's a, a whole back wall of of Morton Salt uh, containers and the whole ad, uh, you know, and uh, Damien ends up at the end picking up a an umbrella, you know, which is also a big Morton Salt sort of image. And uh, the ad in the end, it it uh, benefits the Walk Her Way charity initiative that Morton Salt's involved in. And so, I mean, yeah, it's just a beautiful, really clever uh obviously infectious since it's it's the okay go song it's just something that's so joyful to watch and and uh you know i thought okay go has been they've been so interesting over the years with brand integrations and i thought that this one deserved to be on our on our list of 10 this year
1: all right let's uh let's move on with more branded content in at number seven uh tim tell us about number seven
0: so this is uh kenzo the i believe it's a perfume brand right? Or at least they make perfume, and I think this is this is pushing the perfume. It's, uh, it's a, it was an ad directed, really more of a short film, directed by Spike Jones, and it was called My Mutant Brain, and uh, it was a, a four-minute spot with uh, Margaret Qualley, the actress and dancer, uh, daughter of Andy McDowell also, um, and she is at some kind of black tie event and sort of starts twitching and is clearly uncomfortable and ends up leaving the room and sort of wanders around the it looks like a concert hall almost, uh, or some kind of, you know, big auditorium space. And she, she starts to sort of spasm and, and, uh, does the, all these crazy dance moves and it gets really surreal towards the end where she starts shooting laser beams out of her eyes. And, uh, Spike Jones directed it. He, he, he did something similar a, a decade ago. Um, Uh, with Christopher Walken in the the Weapon of Choice video for Fatboy Slim, which a lot of people obviously referenced when this came out. But um, I thought it was different enough and, and, you know, pretty wonderful to watch. I thought Margaret Qualley did an amazing job in this sort of bizarre role. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those four-minute videos that you could watch uh, over and over. Um, The agency framework worked on it along with the artistic directors over at Kenzo and thought it was a big, you know, it was it was nice to see Spike back in the ad game. He's done so many ads over the years, of course. And you know, I thought this one was really pretty infectious.
1: This one by the way did end up winning the Grand Prix at Epica this year. Um so it really came down to that okay go uh spot that I mentioned earlier and Kenzo and I think in the end uh, Kenzo it's it's I'm certainly on board with that decision. Uh, it's a uh, just a tremendously beautiful ad to watch and really compelling and tremendously entertaining. I think everyone just kind of uh, walks away from it just feeling like they got uh, as much out of an ad as you could possibly hope to get uh, in terms of the entertainment value.
2: I want to smell uh, like <laughs> like whatever she smells like because, you know, it'll make me twitch. Great. <laughs> right? in incidentally, this is it.
3: the, it's the exact dance I do what, after hours here at the office, when nobody's here, I kind of do the exact same thing. It's really odd with the, you know, cleaning personnel and everything too. But I mean, it works for me okay, with
0: laser beams included. Uh huh. Nice.
1: That's what keeps happening to our lobby statuettes. <laughs> That's right <laughs> uh, number six was I, th- I believe our pick for best Super Bowl ad uh, earlier this
0: year uh, tell us about this one Tim sure so this is a spot called portraits uh, that Iris New York made for Jeep and maybe we, before we chat about it we can just listen to a brief clip of it uh, right up front I've kept the company of kings and queens but I'm no royalty or saint I've traveled
3: trekked wandered and roamed, only
0: to find myself right where I belong. So, as you can hear, the the voiceover was really sort of um, poetic and pared down, and kind of you know, it's it's kind of about uh, Jeep drivers, and it's it was made for the 75th anniversary. So there's this sort of real um, looking back vibe to the whole spot, and. But visually, uh, it was it was pretty amazing too. What's what's cool about it is it was actually a vertical video. So you have you know we've talked about this on the podcast before, I believe, where um, uh, it's this you know you, you got 112 million people watching on horizontal screens watching the Super Bowl, and suddenly this vertical ad comes on, and that's you know it sort of immediately um, kind of makes you pay attention just visually, and you know the black bars on either side kind of frame these these portraits pretty interestingly, and then. Uh, it, it ended up working obviously really amazingly in mobile too because it, you, you boot up this ad in mobile and it's it fills up your whole screen and um, you know instead of being just kind of a bar across the middle which the 16 by nines end up looking like uh, in mobile if you don't flip your phone uh, and so you know it's basically one after the other of of, of these pick of these photographs um fa- some famous some of famous people some not uh, some of the vehicles the jeep vehicles and it's you know, it's basically uh, kind of a celebration of the brand through the years and, and everyone who's 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 driven these vehicles. And I just thought it was, you know, in a in a Super Bowl. You know, the Super Bowl is always such, so crazy and loud and noisy. Um, you know, I think Iris really made a, a beautiful statement here with, you know, it was a tribute to its drivers and tribute to its vehicles. And I thought, you know, just craft wise, it was just beautifully done uh, from the voiceover to the to the visuals. And I think it beat every other spot in, in the Super Bowl this year. You know, there's been a few examples of this in recent years where the quieter stuff kind of breaks through uh, on the Super Bowl. You know, thinking of like the Ram Farmer commercial that that the Richards Group did a few years back, stuff like that. You know, if it's done well, I mean, like uh, you know, a lot of times. David, you and I have talked about this recently, like the poetic kind of earnest voiceovers don't always work. They kind of sometimes can backfire, but I thought this one was really well written. And uh, as far as the the visuals and the the risk of going vertical, I thought um, it all combined into a really nice package.
1: Yeah, definitely one of the most uh, kind of striking ads in a year that was pretty low on striking uh, at Super Bowl. I guess that's been uh, the, been most years. Uh, but let's keep uh, let's keep moving. Uh, the next one, number five, we talked about recently, so we don't have to spend too much time on. But uh, this was one of our two kind of last minute entries that really made us go back and revisit our list. Uh, tell us what came in at number five.
0: So number five, um, it was I think what in my opinion was probably the the uh, the best Christmas commercial of the year, which was from H and M. And again, it was uh, this one was another uh, celebrity director, this time Wes Anderson, uh, through the London agency Adam and Eve DDB, uh, did this commercial called "Come Together" for H H&M. and M. And takes place on a train. I think we talked about it a few episodes ago on the podcast. Uh, it takes place on a train. Adrian Brody is the conductor. Uh, The train gets delayed. Everyone apparently is going to miss Christmas. And so the conductor and his uh, train colleagues, um, they decide to put on a little party in one of the cars. And of course, it takes no time at all, because this is Wes Anderson's reality. And uh, there's a a kid traveling alone, a small boy, uh, who's an unaccompanied minor on the train. And he is the last one to enter the the Christmas cabin at the very end of the ad, and it's you know it's just one of those I don't know I know it's kind of cheating to just hire a celebrity director who's who's known for his own style and just you know put your stuff on put your brand on it, but I thought this was pretty irresistible and and the H and M fashions are actually uh, worn the, the holiday collection is uh, all the clothing in the ad is the H and M holiday collection so the brand is pretty uh, well woven into the ad and you know I mean I'm I'm, I'm a Wes Anderson fan anyway so I was probably predisposed to like this ad, but I thought it was, um, you know, a a beautiful ad for the season. And and obviously there was dozens of, of Christmas commercials. I think the, the John Lewis, uh, Buster, the boxer commercial has been the most shared Christmas ad of the year by far. In fact, I think it's been shared more than any other Christmas commercial ever, including Monty, the penguin from a couple years ago. That's, um, that campaign is also through Adam and Eve DDB, which is sort of the default, um, Christmas agency over in England these days. Uh, so we had a lot to choose from in terms of picking a best Christmas ad. And this this may not, uh, the H&M may not have been everybody's pick. I, I'm sure everyone, you know, people have different opinions about what the, the best holiday spot was. But for me, it was this one just because of the details. And, and uh, I found it super charming also.
1: Speaking of kind of last minute uh, ads that made us rethink our list, let's talk about number four.
0: Yeah, so I had the t- whole top 10 ready to go, and then suddenly the the, the Sandy Hook Promise commercial uh, PSA, uh, Evan from BBDO New York, comes out. Um, I was literally sending my list um, to the print editors, and this this ad came out. And I was like, oh, i gotta, I got to throw this in. And, and in fact, uh, it, it made it all the way up to number four on our list, and I'm sure everyone has probably seen this, this spot, and we talked about it a week or two ago on the podcast as well. Um, it's the PSA where you... It takes place in a high school, and it's this sort of, you know, lighthearted love story um, where you follow a guy named Evan who is trying to figure out who's writing back to him on this table that he's been writing notes on um, as he's waiting for summer break. And um, that's the, the, ostensibly the story. And then by the end of the commercial, you realize that that's not the story at all. That there's uh, that there's a school shooting happening, and that there's been warning signs um, throughout the entire. Uh, time you've been watching the ad and, and you just haven't seen them. So I think it's, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but it's, uh, you know, I haven't, I don't, I don't recall a commercial that has had so much, um, you know, that has left viewers quite so stunned as this one and had such a viral, um, you know, movement around the internet. Mostly it's because of the surprise, obviously, and, it, and it's a really clever surprise. And, and advertising that is clever gets shared, you know, I think more even than advertising that's beautiful or funny um and so yeah we had to include this one uh the director was henry alex rubin um who made the documentary murder ball a few years ago so again a great director really skillfully made uh spot and fully deserving uh could have even been higher on this list maybe
1: alfred what do you think of this one
0: uh i was
3: fooled (laughs) and i and i enjoyed being fooled like it very it, it felt uh we're talking about celebrity directors. I mean, I it, it reminded me of The Sixth Sense. It reminded me of, like, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, but it reminded I me Shyamalan. of, I, yeah, I, I see dead people. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I, it was one of those things where I was watching the video and I, I even caught the, um, you know, the, the kid reading the gun magazine in the very beginning. And then I just, you know, they they – they filmed it in such a way where you're just manipulated into watching the the narrative unfold in front of you with the audio and you know with the with the story happening. And I watched it again and I'm like, holy crap, that's that's uh, pretty brilliant. Anyway, it, yeah, it, to and, me, you know. the, this
1: this is the opposite of the um, the the uh, nation nationwide, right, Tim? The dead kid ad from Super right. Bowl two years ago. Um, you know, this the opposite in the sense of that one was one trying to go for a dramatic twist and everyone just kind of was like, oh, and then, <laughs> you know, this one, you get the twist and you're just like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, and then they, they, I guess my only complaint, and it's a very mild one, and it was, they did the right thing, but I, I wish they had not shown you all the hidden signs and I wish they had made you go back and find them. Uh, Just because as soon as that message came up, I was like, oh, cool. I can't wait to go back. Oh, oh, never mind. They're just showing me all the hidden signs, which I bet there was some debate internally about whether, uh, you know, how blatant to get. But in the end, I think asking people to go back and frame by frame a a video is probably a little little big of an ask.
0: Well, and they also, when they did replay the scenes, they did dramatic lighting to kind of highlight the kid, which I thought was a little overboard, too. Um, but at the same time, I mean, when when you know something has the potential to go to to reach so many people, you know, the the the, the te- it's probably tempting to to kind of telegraph it once you once you're past the reveal, which I, I think that made sense to me. But wonderful spot. Um, I guess we can move on to number three. Which is, uh, you know, Nike always, you know, always does such fantastic advertising, and they did some interesting, really interesting work uh, around the Olympics this year out of uh, its uh, out of the U.S. offices of Widening Kennedy. But actually, this was a the, the spot we chose for the number three on this list um, was the India Nike India commercial called Dada Dang, and it's it was made by Widening Kennedy Delhi, and it was actually um, the Delhi offices' first ever work for Nike. And I find that amazing because this spot is so, it's got Nike DNA, like, just down to its core, and it—and it's um, so beautifully made. You know, it's really about girls in India who, you know, they're told that, you know, not to play sports, that it's a waste of time, that they should focus on their schooling, or also on, on getting married eventually. So, you know, in this cultural landscape where you know, girls really are, aren't encouraged to value sport. Um, what a commercial to come in and, and I, I think it was a three-minute spot, to come in and really show them, um, you know, the unifying power and, and the empowerment of sports for for Indian women. And it, it shows sort of a, a, an ultimate squad of, of Indian women athletes and a few other celebrities. And it had a great song, and it was so beautifully shot, and, and Francois Rousselet was the director. And... I mean, I thought it was one of the best Nike ads I've ever seen, like, period. Much, you know, not even this, just this year. I thought uh, the song was amazing. In fact, why don't we just listen to a little bit of the song and then uh, you guys can tell me uh, what you thought of this spot, too. Let's go. Let's
2: go. Let's go. Let's
0: go.
2: i'm just
1: getting
2: started time to sweat oh i loved this one um it was i mean the cinematography was incredible as tim was saying the song was so perfect and i, I think the casting must have been I, I don't know whoever did the casting did a great job because every woman and girl that was in there just seemed so excited and so happy and so into what they were doing and I'm sure like you're doing a you know sports shoot for Nike it's hot you're running you probably don't feel great and to like be able to convey the excitement and fun of sport is it's a feat and I I don't know I just I loved it. What about you, Alfred? It was
3: pretty perfect, honestly. I I watched it twice even. Like, you know, the song's great too. I don't know where that came from, but, you know, um, I think it definitely propelled the action very well and the editing's fantastic. So, um, not to mention, you know, obviously the the thematic device there, but um, it's great. Great ad.
0: You know, and the just the cultural tension too. I mean, you have to believe that this kind of commercial makes a difference in the world, you know.
2: For sure. The, uh,
1: the you know the thing that I remember is when we were going through our agency of the year uh, nominations and Widen and Kennedy of course is a perennial uh, contender uh, finalist uh, in both the U.S. and in our global categories, and when it came time to watch the global reel of their best work, and I believe this was the first one we watched, and it just got me so jazzed about yeah, man. Oh, okay. I am fired up. Let's watch the rest of their work now. And I was on such a high after watching that. Uh, And they certainly had some really good, some, you know, some strong work this year. Uh, But, you know, to go from this to the Olympics ads that ran in the U.S. with the Oscar Isaac VO and and that were kind of a bit grating to listen to uh, after the first minute or so. I remember like some of our editors were literally like, can we please just skip to the rest of these because there's only so much of that voiceover you can take in the in the u.s work and then the all the kfc work which of course if you watch all those back to back it's kind of painful and tortuous so you know this was one where i think if you know, certainly Widen is clearly capable of this. They have two spots in our top 10 this year. Uh, but, man, just imagine if they were putting out work of this caliber, uh, you know, out of multiple offices uh, every year, uh, they they would probably be winning agency of the year every single year. But uh, really a fantastic spot. Yeah.
0: And, and you think, you know, I think the difference, too, t- to some degree with a spot like this is, you know, in, in the U.S., you know, women's sports is now kind of a, it's celebrated and it's, and it's part of the f- cultural fabric. And so... You know, the spots, a lot of the spots have uh, in the U.S. for Nike these days have kind of a wry, you know, look about them. Like the whole uh, Oscar Isaac VO is kind of like a, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a wink, you know. And, and, and this, this stuff from, from Delhi, I mean, there's, it's not a wink at all. It's just a full-on celebration. And, and to see Nike do that, uh, it was really just really inspiring and, and, and cool for the brand.
1: Well, number two uh, comes from our Breakthrough Agency of the Year. This is the category where we uh, always like to feature an agency who, while maybe not new, has had a bunch of work that really exploded up to the next level. Uh, and certainly this year, that was uh, Venables, Bell and & Partners. And tell us about the ad of theirs that made it to all the way up to number two.
0: Yes, so number two spot is Audi, and the commercial is Dual, which... Um I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of you guys would have been surprised to, to, to hear that something even vaguely politically related would have made it to number two. Um, but this spot did have a pretty interesting political backdrop. Uh, not explicitly. The, the ad is about, um, it was shot by Ringen Ledwidge, the rattling stick director, uh, who famously made The Guardian's Three Little Pigs a few years ago. And he doesn't make a lot of ads. And so when he does, it's really kind of notable to see what he's working on. And it was, a sh- it was an ad that, that proceeds completely in reverse. The, the entire ad, almost towards the, uh, until the very end, uh, is uh, the action proceeds in reverse. And it starts out in this sort of grand ballroom, and uh, a man and woman have, they appear to have uh, crashed through the skylight and onto a, a table of food. And uh, you don't really realize until the end uh, what they're fighting about. And uh, that, that sort of reverse chronology really built the tension, which was pretty interesting. And so there's this elaborate kind of fight scene that proceeds in reverse for an entire minute, and then at the very end, you you realize who these people are. They're actually uh, parking valets, and they're they're arguing, uh, fighting over the right to park an RS seven that has shown up at the hotel that they that they work at. So, I mean, I just thought it was um, when I saw it. It, it broke uh, around. I think it was the day of the first presidential debate, and. You know the media buy was pretty cool because here you have a man and woman in the in the commercial who are who are fighting, uh, or dueling, uh, similar to obviously what was happening in the presidential debate this year. And so uh, this spot, I believe, on only aired on three nights, and it was the th- the nights of each of the three presidential debates. Which, you know, it, it's a little gimmicky, but I thought it was it was pretty clever as well. And as far as the ad itself, I mean, the choreography was amazing. Uh, Ringel Edwards is really just a, an amazing director, and his uh it's just a masterful display of 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 directing here and then i thought the payoff was really cute and clever and you know it's just a really memorable ad and i thought it was the best auto ad of the year and it's certainly the best uh single execution that i've seen come out of venables bell in in their history so yeah congrats to them and and for and to audi as well because i think they've really come a long way in terms of uh making impactful advertising
1: all right, I think we're ready. Let's talk about number one. We've already uh, we've already broken some of the drama by revealing it up front, but uh, tell us again about our number
0: one ad of the year. Yes, the number one ad of 2016 is uh, Rule Yourself, Michael Phelps by Under Armour. And uh, there's a whole big story about this on our website. Um, I talked to the agency uh, a lot about it and also, also to the brand about it too about how it came together. We, we've written about it a few times this year, actually. Um, it first came out in March. Um, I was actually down at Under Armour for their, for their media day uh, down in Baltimore. And um, it was the day that I first met uh, Phelps. And uh, they broke the ad at, I think, 8 or 9 in the morning. So I got to see that and kind of write it up for our, for, for our site um, before kind of going through the, the big media day. And I mean, I can't really say enough about this ad. It's uh, uh, Droga Five uh, and the, the director was Martin dethura and it's really about Michael Phelps and, and what he does away from the spotlight and how he trains and um, it's got the the Last Goodbye by the Kills as the soundtrack um, which is which is a really beautiful song and really just thematically perfect um, for this story of a of a hero who's kind of got his having his last shot uh, at his final Olympics. And, I mean, the, you know, the, there's a, a backbone image in the ad of, of this illuminated swimming lane that, that Phelps is kind of swimming down, and uh, it's shown five or six times, and each time the camera's pulling back and pulling back and pulling back, and it's just a beautiful, beautifully made ad kind of about, you know, not, not sports as victory and winning, and but sports as sort of, you know, endless uh, training and endless um, just self-betterment and, and, and str- struggle to, to, you know, outside the spotlight for those few minutes that you actually have to, to compete. So thematically it, it fit, you know, Phelps's story perfectly. And, you know, just in terms of craft, I think, on, uh, I think Droga did an incredible job and, you know, I'm not a huge fan of sports advertising generally. I find so much of it so boring. Um, so it's really great to see something that's truly an, an artistic Marvel, you know, uh, be put to use for, for a brand like Under Armour. So yeah, I mean, I guess maybe we could listen to a little bit of the song. Um, cause I think it really, the song is a really, really big part of this ad as well. Yeah.
1: Let's, uh, let's listen to a little bit of it and then I'll, I'll kind of talk on, on that point, one of my favorite aspects of the story behind the ad. So let's, let's hear the music. So my favorite detail uh, out of our story uh, this week about uh, the kind of the story behind the ad is that uh, they did not go into it planning for the audio to only be uh, the track. Uh, they had this, uh, I'm sure, very powerful voiceover uh, in the in the vein of to Tim's point about most celebrity or athlete kind of spots of staring intensely, and and you hear the voiceover of them describing their struggles or whatever. And I think we're all just kind of really tired of that. And even though I'm sure Droga and Phelps could have done some interesting stuff there, I think they made a brilliant choice once they heard the track and saw how well it worked with it. They, they made the, what was probably a very difficult decision for the copywriter and the creative director, but to not uh, include the the voiceover. And I really think that's what tipped this over. It is haunting and uh, just so perfectly, crafted and i know it won the grand prix in film craft i believe but it really should have won grand prix in, in film uh in general it, it goes well beyond the craftsmanship the storytelling the subtlety of it is is just p- pretty much perfect uh alfred you're obviously a, a video guru uh what are kind of some of your favorite aspects of this ad
3: i think the most striking thing that uh sort of stands out to me uh in general for this entire ad is is the lighting um particularly in the one scene where he just kind of like he it they use the lane sort of as a sort of as a metaphor for his career and um, just sort of his journey and then we see all these little uh, scenes spliced into uh, his workout um, his workout method the only thing I can really relate to in that really is the uh, part where he gorges himself with a lot of food um, but <laughs> beyond that um, you know and you know maybe to a lesser extent the cupping scenes but um, I'm joking, of course, but, uh, I do, I, you know, it, it's really interesting to kind of see how somebody like Michael Phelps, uh, is portrayed or portrays himself, you know, in this stage of his career and maybe kind of sets the, sets the tone for maybe what could be ahead for him as well. Um, but you know, that's also kind of, Tim, you speak to that a lot in the, um, you know, in the, in the behind the scenes write up of this as well. And sort of, you know, in your, your, uh, deep dive as it were into uh, his future and into, into his second act right
0: yeah I mean you're right the, the, the ad really is about um, the lighting and metaphorically as well as you know literally it's it's really about shedding new light on the on the sky and um, and and using a lot of darkness and shadows um, to do that so you know it, it's really an interesting way of kind of capturing where, you know, where he is, where he was at the time in his career. And, you know, the media buy was interesting, too. I mean, the ad broke in March, which is, you know, way, way before Rio, which was in uh, August. You know, most advertisers um, wait until there's sort of a there's a hundred day window, which I think was in in May sometime, early May, which is like when P&G rolled out their big Olympic campaign. And this was sort of six weeks before that. And so they kind of got, you know, they seeded the idea pretty early got a lot of attention then. And then, you know, they ran it later in in July and August. And uh, it's not explicitly Olympic themed, you know, there's no mention of the Olympics, because uh, Under Armour is not an Olympic sponsor. Um, But clearly, it was about his his last shot, you know. Um, And so lighting was a big deal. And uh, yeah, I mean, I spoke to to Michael a lot about it. And, uh, you know, Under Armour, Showed him. Uh, Kevin Plank screened the ad for him. Uh, I think last Christmas at the UA headquarters, and Under Armour, sort of smartly, like you know, filmed Michael watching the ad for the first time. Uh, and his his now wife Nicole was with him, and and they both um, like legitimately started crying. So I mean, it was a, you know, I, I think he understood that he's gone through so much that people don't really understand about him you know, you get, there's the headlines, of course, there's like the bong photo and there's the DUI and there's, there's the eight golds in Beijing. And there's these sort of things that you know about him and and you don't really think about what, what it takes to be able to do what he's done, you know, in, in the sport of swimming. And so I think this ad, you know, in a really, really artful way, uh, and in a way that was, you know, uh, not just beautiful, but also kind of ugly in, in some ways in, in terms of the, the pain and the, the loneliness uh, of what he has to go through to, to, to reach the highest level of sport. You know, I think very few sports ads have, have really illuminated that. And so um, for, for an underdog brand like Under Armour to do that, to kind of put Phelps in this position, I mean, Phelps was not an underdog. He's not, he hasn't been an underdog since probably 2000 or maybe 2004. And so to, to kind of, you know, frame this as a redemption story after his, you know, somewhat underwhelming, at least for him, uh, performance in London four years ago. You know, it, it's, it's great. I mean, Under Armour excels at this kind of stuff. You know, they, they were probably happy when Steph Curry didn't win the NBA title last year because now they can portray him as a, as a challenger again. And same with Cam Newton, you know, when he lost in the Super Bowl last year. So um, to, to craft an underdog story with Phelps, you know, ahead of, the ga- ahead of the Rio games was kind of a genius idea. And to do it and to execute it in such an amazing way, I mean, hats off to them uh, and to Droga for this one.
1: Christina, uh, you haven't said much about this one. What, what's your take?
2: Oh, um, I mean, I I thought it was beautiful. I think that Phelps is is one of those people where you know he's he's not actually the best actor and so to use him in this way that Under Armour did where you get these little shots and they're strung together and you get a larger portrait of this man without having to see him try and act as though he's he's doing all of these things or you know portray it in like one scene or any of that um, I think that was really smart I think that it, you know showing the work of what it takes to be an Olympian is an important story and one that was told really well.
1: I think uh, uh, there were several, and, and we don't even have time to go into all the great details about uh, the ad that were drug up and and much less Tim's cover story, which is a fantastic interview with Michael Phelps, profile Michael Phelps uh, about what he has next. So I strongly recommend uh, that you look up on Adweek. Uh, Michael Phelps, and Ad of the Year, and you'll easily find uh, all three of our stories there. Tim did a, just an absolutely fantastic job, so congrats to you on this uh, tremendous oh, package. Uh, beautiful cover uh, that we had this week, so a great way to end the year uh, for our print edition. And... Um, but uh, but just the little things like the fact that he showed up with his beard and asked the agency, "Oh, do you want me to shave?" And they're like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> this is, you look perfect." <laughs>
0: totally. Yeah, he he looked the part of like it was like in Castaway, you know, and Hanks yeah. comes back with like the giant beard. Like and I then imagine, uh, I imagine Hanks doing laps of the pool when I see Michael Phelps in his beard.
1: The uh, what was the. Um, Oh, there was another—oh, the 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 shivering, the scene of him shivering outside of the pool was real. Uh, I just—I love those elements because those are really the moments that and the aspects that make the ad. And this is a—there's a lot to learn from this. This isn't just a a fantastic piece of cinematography. It's—there's uh, so much flexibility in how, how the ad was made. Uh, so I, I, I wish we had more time to talk about uh, your interview. We do have a podcast coming up next week where we are going to look ahead uh, to— 2017, we're going to look back at the trends that drove creativity, uh, that drove media and technology this year. A lot of those stories are already up on our site on adweek.com, but we're going to be saving a whole other episode uh, to go through that. And I'm sure we will talk a little bit more about some of these ads and some of the stuff that falls outside of traditional advertising. But uh, we we have a gallery of the best outdoor uh, and some of the most interesting creative trends that we saw this year. So, Definitely tune in next week for that. Uh, really want to thank our panel, Christina, Alfred, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a really fun discussion, and strongly encourage everyone to go check out our list of the 10 top ads of the year. Uh, our theme music is by home. Uh, this week's episode was produced by Christina Monlos and edited by Kevin Eck. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Kevin. And please uh, take a moment, if you have not, to leave a review for this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Those reviews are really important to us, and most importantly, they help uh, new listeners discover our podcast. We've got some cool stuff coming up uh, next week. Like I said, we're going to be looking at our outlook for 2017 and a look back at the trends that drove the year. And you can drop us a line anytime you want at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. We love getting your messages and questions. So uh, reach out anytime. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will talk to you next week.